Hey everyone, and welcome back to episode eight of Loogie. I'm your host Zach here with Jack and Andrew. Rough week last week, boys. Record one and four, two point four runs per game, three point eight allowed per game. Now falling to third in the standings, two behind the Phillies. Andrew, you went to a game in Philly. How was it? Um, it was not much fun. <laughs> it well, it, it was also just the most boring game ever. Like the mm-hmm. Mets did nothing until the ninth. Which Phillies game? Had, oh, the, the three home run game. Yeah, Phillies oh. had one big four run inning right in the middle of the game. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the back to back to back home runs in the ninth were exciting, but I I knew it wasn't going to be enough even before the game started. I said we were going to maybe like you know give up just too many runs that we could come back from because that was all we were doing this week was just scoring a couple giving up a couple more rallying in the ninth but not quite enough and they did it again what did you see this week that was uh that stood out to you anything in particular well you know we are last in the league in rbis and runs uh, runner in scoring position which we discussed last week, the lack lack of clutch hitting continues. Um, the bullpen's been fantastic. In fact, tonight's game. Oh, I got out of that, but what? What? It, well, it was disappointing. Like Andrew said, you know, obviously we're not hitting. I mean, Rich Hill last week pitched. Um, had five innings of no earned runs. Albert Almora got three hits. Now that is a game that we should win every time. But if we can't even win a game like that, that's pretty sad. And um, and if you ever wanted to make a million dollars, obviously we knew Zach Wheeler was just going to destroy us. There was no ever a doubt about that. And and sure enough, that went down as expected. So um, hey, so you know. What can you say? Maybe well, we got we got eight runs tonight, so maybe we'll be back. What really interests me tonight is the bullpen. Familia Castro, Drew Smith, and May just mowed down the Phillies. Each of them throwing thirteen, nine, eleven, and thirteen pitches respectively. So what interests me about that is that I know the second game is a seven inning game, but if you have to come back with one of those guys, or are they just done for tonight? Knowing Rojas, they're done for tonight, but you just burned four spectacular bullpen, and, a, and I guess it'll be a fifth. Who's pitching now? Oh, no, we don't know yet. Anyway, so yeah, no clutch hitting, bullpen great, and a lot of blown chances. A lot of trouble in, in Mets town, but reports say Luis Rojas is not currently on the hot seat. Uh, Jack, do you think maybe he should, or are you just... Are you just saying, you know, this is a, this is just a bump in the road. Is anyone talking about that? Just a normal idiotic chit chat. The team goes on a losing but streak. I know that you have uh you know, you don't think he's the greatest manager, but I mean every manager is like him nowadays, so what's the difference if they get a new guy? Right. He he overmanages like everybody else. Um it's it's pathetic to see him and old man Gauss over there in a the dugout, chit-chatting through the entire nine innings, um, talking about who knows what. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's face it, I mean, based on the job he's done with an injured team, 
as beat up as we've been, he he isn't going anywhere right now. That's the bottom line. He's he's won with through the injuries, so no, he he's not going anywhere. Zach Scott says this recent stretch is unacceptably bad. Says the Mets have played mediocre baseball most of the year, and I guess I mean mediocre baseball most of the year. We've talked about how we've had times where we're the best hitting team in baseball times were the best pitching team in baseball. We just have not had long stretches of that, and we haven't been able to put it together at the same time. Um, so I guess it is unacceptably bad how inconsistent we've kind of been. Andrew, what do you have to? What, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I honestly agree completely. They've been very disappointing. Again, we we've talked a bunch about the injuries at the beginning of the year, and that's one thing, but. There, you know, we have a few injuries right now, but not enough that we should be playing this bad. So I just put the one picture. The Mets are the second biggest underperformer this year in terms of runs per game compared to projections. They are obviously really struggling, and it is pretty obvious why I have one more it's stats on players the players on the team compared to their projections. And I mean, you just look at it, you got three guys that were supposed to be crucial to this team, which is Lindor, Conforto, and Dom Smith, all really struggling. Conforto, especially bad. Yeah, You know, Lindor was picking it up for the injury. Dom has been, had some hot stretches, had some cold stretches, but when those three, you know, those are hard of your order guys, all really struggling you know no amount of walks from nimmo and you know even home runs from alonzo are going to make up from that so yeah i agree completely they are just right now dreadful and that's one of the things that got me has got me pissed this week is that if you look at this list jd davis is the top of the list as the as the best performing woba guy but he's been hurt Guillaume and Villar are part-time players, so who cares about them at two and three? So now McCann is your second best performing player, and Nimmo is your third best performing player based on expectations. So, but if you look at just look at the basic statistics of these guys, of all, of the entire nine, ten, eleven players, I mean, nobody is doing anything exceptionally well. Nimmo a little bit with his on-base ability, but other than that, nobody is above and beyond or just slightly above or just doing anything exceptionally well this year. Nobody in any category that, that I'm aware of, maybe you guys can think of somebody in one particular category that they're doing well. Um, I mean, we're very fortunate that the two catchers have been consistent in their own little way, consistently mediocre, and that's fine. That's what we wanted out of them. But these other guys, they're not bringing anything to the table. Nobody is doing anything well this year. And it's amazing that we're still in it, um, despite all that, in our lousy division. It's it's a bad time for this kind of baseball to be being played, the 1-4 record this past week, because we have 13 games coming up against the Dodgers and the Giants after this national series. So, yeah. Uh, it could get worse, which is which is scary. But um, those series will obviously be humongous. Uh, 
they have humongous implications for the rest of our season. Um, I was just wondering if, if you guys have any predictions for what you think our record will be over those 13 games. Just a guess. Are we on the road? Um, we'll be at home for the Dodgers series that's coming up. Then we go to San Francisco for three. And then, and then we go to L.A. for four. Oh, okay. And then we come back to New York to play yeah. the Giants again for three. Oh, yeah. So two home series, two away series. What do you guys think? That's a lot of traveling, and that's a lot of really tough baseball. And some teams that are playing well and consistently well. Oh, yeah. Andrew, what do you think? Um, <laughs> I, a hopeful prediction is like something like five and eight. Um, <laughs> realistically, with what we've seen, not including today's game, you know, you'd have to say something like three and ten. But mm-hmm. you never know on the road. Mets have been playing better on the road. Um, so hopefully they can steal a few games and keep it somewhat close to 500. But yeah, I don't know. It's going to be a rough one. Three and 10 comes to mind only because, you know, I've had a few cocktails and I'm feeling really depressed and sad about our team. Oh my but, God. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. We get, I mean, the thing is, without, without the Grom, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we don't have one who we know can get us three victories in over those 13 games. I mean, they would have set up that rotation probably to make sure he got three starts. So now we'll just we'll just see what happens. Maybe we'll start hitting a little bit and playing defense and pitching. Thank God for the bullpen. Anyway. All right, before Jack gets too depressed, let's let's switch over to this day in history. Today is August eleventh. Andrew, what else has happened today in history? Yeah, we got a quick one. It was August eleventh, nineteen fifty one. WCBS TV televised the first ever baseball game broadcast in color was the Dodgers 8-1 to win over the Braves. And it's only one problem with that. What's that? No, nobody owned a color TV in 1951, so <laughs> didn't do anybody any good. Some but, rich people uh, enjoyed it, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know about that. Even that, I don't know. Dang. Well, you know what it was? It was people who probably were going to the TV store and watching ah. the game at the TV store, which people used to do a lot of that back in the fi- early 50s before everyone had TVs. Freeloaders. You go to the, yeah, oh yeah, you go, and they'd have a TV actually in the window in front of the store, mm-hmm. and people would be on the sidewalk watching I Love Lucy. And and the the Yankee game, that was it the Yankees, you said, Andrew? It was a Dodgers-Braves game. Yeah, to watch the Dodgers and I Love Lucy uh, through, the, through the plate glass window. They were like, oh, they make those TVs? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, my mom always talked about how they used to have to go down the street to watch TV with the two or three families that actually had TVs in the neighborhood <laughs> before they got their own. Call the broadcast. Well, you know, it was an also, um, earlier this week, was the 100th anniversary of the first game broadcast on the radio. Uh, KDK Pittsburgh did a pirate game. I think that was... August 8th or August 7th or something like that. So it was the 100th anniversary of the first game on radio. So, hey, big day, big week. All right, Jack. Um, it's the part of the podcast where you are allowed to complain as much as you want, and we have to listen to it. Are you ready? What's bothering you this week? Well, let's see. Go to your list. Uh, no, I, I'm looking at my <laughs> list. 
I don't know if I want to talk about the. I'm gonna. I don't want to talk about the oven mitt this week because I need to do a little more research. It looks like I'm using less players are using the oven mitt, maybe perhaps. But the oven mitt is, is a joke. So I'm gonna talk about mound visits because okay. I'm watching today, and I know there's a limit on mound visits now. Finally. But I think they should lower the mound visits number even more. I mean, what are you going out to talk about the guy with? The guy's got crib notes of how to pitch every guy in his back pocket. They, I mean, he, what do you, what do you talk about when you go out there? Keep it low, throw strikes. We got to get this guy. I mean, it, it's a joke. And I'm talking about not even when they're trying to get the bullpen warmed up. You know, that's another thing. The reason they use, of course, the mound visits get the guy up and warm. But uh, today, Joe Ross gave up three hits in the third inning. And here comes the pitcher mound, trudging out to the mound. I'm the pitching coach trudging out to the mound. And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. So, yeah, we have to, I think, find a way to change. And this could be one of my five rule changes that I want to come up with. I think the pitcher and pitching coach, the pitching coach should have to stay in foul territory. The pitcher should come, maybe the catcher, come over to chat with the pitching coach there. And then they go back to their positions. That's a proposed rule change by me, which I will, I will flesh that one out a little bit. But I, I, think, um, I think that has some merit. Why wait for the pitching coach, who's 50 pounds overweight and 60 years old, to walk all the way out to the mound? That's a waste of time. So I think that's something we need to look into. That he should not be allowed in fair territory. That's all it's I have to like say. It's like an earpiece for the pitcher or something, so they just have to kind of talk during the game, or no, would that the, be no? That be oh, crazy? no, you can't have that. You can't have that. I mean, just like no what? Way. What would your solution be? Just no more of it. I think he'd have to. I think them meeting at the at the at the at the at the first baseline is the start of it. And then that would make it shorter anyway. And even then, you'd have to have like a 15-second clock on it. That way, the umpire – then you have to wait for the umpire to walk out to the mound to break it up. Well, that's what I was going to say. The yes. umpire coming out and just kind of – he always Ugh. like listens to the conversation for like five seconds. And then he like starts to get in and make everyone go. And they keep talking. And then eventually, it's over. It's just so dumb. I think that's Lindor's job. He stands on a mound and looks over at the umpire and he whispers, the ump is coming. The ump is coming. That must be his job. So, okay. So we all agree on that. It should be a 15-second visit at the Anything foul that line. that speeds the game along is good with me. All right, then. Next topic. It's time for the weekly quiz, Modern Baseball. Versus new school baseball, you guys, or versus old school baseball, you guys ready? Let's do it. Andrew's got a 3-2 lead on the series. Jack, you're really slacking here. We we thought you'd be the, about? the easy winner of this, but Andrew's just really been showing you up. I don't like the question style, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start with the 1950 National League MVP. I know you guys both know this one. Oh, I definitely know it. Should I text it to you? Sure. You know the drill, right? I just discussed this guy the other day with a guy in my church. Well. No way. Yep. As you can see, the um, spell check blew it on me, but 
Yeah, I was talking to an old guy from Philadelphia, and we were talking about his favorite Philly back in the day, Michael Schmidt. And then he told me about he, you know, he was been around since the fifties. And I said, Oh, fifties, the Wiz Kids, Philadelphia Phillies, Richie Ashburn, Robin Roberts, and the National League MVP, shall I say it? Tim Constanti. Is correct. Jack with zero points, Andrew with zero points after that first round. Well done, Jack. Yeah, thank you. I I get it right. Andrew gets it wrong and we're tied. That's yep. right. But if the, here's the catch, though. If you get this one right and Andrew gets it wrong, then... Yeah, yeah. All right, go ahead. I got gotcha. you. You're up by two. Mm-hmm. All right. So, in 2019, who hit the most home runs in the National League? 2019. I don't know. Did you say National League? League. Most home runs in the National League. Say 1919 or 2019? <laughs> you wish I said 1919, but I said 2019. All right. You get my the answer? An- and the answers are in. And Andrew is correct. It was Pete Alonzo, big polar bear <laughs> Peter. Jack said Javi Baez, another Met, but no. I can't even get the Met question right. That's the <laughs> With 53 that season. Very impressive. All right. Let's move on to another old-fashioned question. The score is still 0-0 coming into the last round here. In 1988, what team had the most wins in the regular season? What year? 1988. Which league? Both leagues. Do you want me to tell you which one? No. I know it was in the World Series, so... Andrew says the Dodgers. Jack says the A's. The answer was the Oakland A's with 104 wins. Yeah, I mean, that was the World Series, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was Dodgers beat the A's. I think that was Oral Hershire year. Not that it matters. Moving right along. All right, let's move along. It's still 0-0 here. So this is really the question to decide them all. In 2017, which team had the most wins in the regular season? What year? 2017. Okay. That would That's easy. That was obviously... Um... Easy one for Jack here. He should have an easy point. If he gets it right, he wins. Uh, I, I think I might know this. <laughs> Guess how Bosox is uh, spell checked. <laughs> Buzzum. <laughs> Buzzum. <laughs> Ain't that something? Oh, well. Incorrect. Buzzum and Boston are both incorrect. <laughs> Andrew says the Strohs. Also incorrect. The answer was. The L.A. Dodgers. So Andrew falls to negative one with that answer. And Jack wins it negative one to zero this week. Congratulations, uh, Jack. The uh, trashest win in the history of this trivia show. We, well, we but both it counts. Had, yeah, we both get 10, 10 bonus points for, for listening to these questions. Yeah, for bad questions. 
Congratulations for getting through that quiz again, guys. I know it's week eight, and you've, you're tired of these by now, but good no, job. No, doing, you're doing great. We're doing great. No, it's okay. You can't take it back now. It's The truth has been spoken. Okay. <laughs> Let's move right along to yes. the question vault, where last week we discussed doing Jack's all-time favorite players. Jack, do you have a player for us that you want to talk about to start off your team of nine? All right, yeah, you guys mentioned that. So I thought about it, and I said, well, you know, um, these are guys who I enjoyed watching. And with that caveat, I'd have to make – any player I select will have to be post-1980 because – well, I'm gonna just going to say this is going to be post-1980 because that was before cable TV. And before cable TV, we didn't get to see a lot of people other than the Mets. And, you know, the NL East players, we saw a decent amount of those guys. But once cable TV hit, we got a chance to see a lot more of any other players we wanted to see. So I'm gonna, this will be like a post-1980 group of players. So I'm going to start off with a Met. And uh, center field slash left field, Mookie Wilson is going to be the first on my favorite list. Mookie was with the Mets for uh, um, 80 to 89, almost 10, 10 years he, he played with us. But Mookie was one of those players who was very common back in the day with a boatload of speed. And any Met fan from that era will tell you there was nothing like watching Mookie Wilson run the bases, especially when he was hitting triples. Because the guy was just a running machine, helmet flying, dirt flying, legs flying. Uh, he had 60 triples with us over the 10 years. He averaged 30 steals a year, lots of speed. He stole over 50 twice. And just a player who actually is one of the most loved Mets of all time. And of course, most famous for hitting the, um, the ball through Buckner's legs in the 86 World Series of Game 6. So I loved watching guys with speed. And Mookie had a boatload of it. And Mookie had one major problem that prevented him from being a great player. The guy could not walk. I mean, he batted lead off for us a lot, but he was a terrible on-base guy. He, he'd hit your 280 most every year. He hit around 280, which was pleasant enough, but could not get on base via the walk. Uh, in 1983, he had over 650 plate appearances and walked 18 times. So that gives you an idea. Numbers. Oh, it was just, it's just awful. You'd watch him free swinging and be like, Mookie, if he would just get on base. I mean, a, a leadoff walk from Mookie Wilson was like a leadoff double because he was going. And he was in a day when, this was in a day when every team had a speed demon. You'd always had your speed demon at the top of the order. Willie Wilson, Ricky Henderson, Tim Raines, Vince Coleman, Willie McGee, guys like that. I mean, lots of bases being stolen back then in the late 70s, early 80s. So... Mookie Wilson is a beloved Met, and he was a favorite Met of lots of people in that day. So he's going to be my first favorite player, and I'm going to put him in left field. So next week, there will be a center fielder. And maybe I'll even pick a manager at some point. But that's all I'm going to say about my man, Mookie Wilson. All right. I'm done. Yeah, I, I know, I know. You're finished. All right, Andrew. It's time for one of your classic deep dives. Tell us something deep today. Is it maybe something about WOBA this week? No, unfortunately not about WOBA. We're going with some basic stats ah, today. 
But so I was reading this article on MLB.com from Mike Petriello called The Real Reason Behind the Mets Slump at the Plate. And he basically outlined a whole bunch of things that the Mets are doing and the reasons that they're struggling. Some of those charts from earlier came from that article. But he had a whole section on City Field that I thought was something, well, at least something I didn't know. So we we know back when City Field first opened, you know, it was absolutely a pitcher's park. Mm-hmm. And they had to move in the fences because no one could score. But even since they've moved them in, it's still been horrible for offense. In the article, he says City Field is where offense goes to die. And he was looking at the Mets this year. At home, the Mets have the second worst slugging percentage. But on the road, they're 13th best. So obviously still not top of the league, but nowhere near bottom two. And then even you go back to 2020, the Mets as a team have the 11th best slugging percentage at home, but they have the best slugging percentage on the road. So again, it's a city field thing these two years. And then he broke it down even further. All the way back from 2015, the World Series run to 2021, the Mets have the fifth worst slugging percentage at home and the second best on the road in that six-year stretch. So again, not a one or two year sample. You have a six year sample and still the exact same thing. You know, even this year we've seen Pete has 24 home runs this year. 17 of them are on the road, only seven at home. Um, Looking at the StatCast data, it is apparently the fifth hardest park for hitters. But even stranger, it's the hardest ballpark in the MLB to get a hit. And I I don't really know what that could be or why that is. Um, He looked at hard hit rate from the team this year. At home, the Mets have the 26th best hard hit rate at home, but they're 16th best on the road. So something about City Field makes it hard for at least the Mets. He didn't go in to look at other teams, but over a long stretch, I'm sure it would be a similar story. But something about City Field makes it hard to make good contact and I don't really know what that could be I couldn't think of something but I just thought that was very interesting and you know it's not just because the Mets are a bad offensive team because you look at the road numbers and they're top of the league almost every year it is very interesting and we we know they brought the fences in and lower defenses in certain parts of the ballpark um more to a normal dimension field, but that still doesn't explain all that you're saying, Andrew. That's true. I mean, it almost sounds like maybe visibility could be an issue. Yeah. Or something like that. And then, of course, you you have the usual argument that, hey, well, you know, the, the road teams have to play in there too, and they're going to have the same issues. But um, those numbers still demand, to me, um, some explanation. Because that's just bizarre to be that 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 different of a that much of a discrepancy between road and home in a stadium that has been adjusted um, to be more favorable for hitters than it was. It's still a pitcher's park, obviously, but uh, yeah, that that uh, that demands some kind of uh, some explanation, no doubt. And that's your job for next week. Yep, I'll figure it out.
There right, you go, then. Andrew. Find right. out something I'm gonna, I'm gonna write it down that too. nobody has probably figured out yet. Do some do some of that investigation you do here at Lugie. Hmm. All right, Jack, I mean, it's time to move on and test your knowledge this yeah, week. I was gonna, all right, go ahead. Oh, no, you can you can say whatever you want to say. Go no, ahead. I, I, well, I was just going to say um, you know, there's a lot of factors involved, including, well, which, our division has lots of good pitching. So, you know, we most of our home games are going to be against and, and the NL East, which has good pitching. Now, I, I'm not, I haven't broken that down, but that that's a possible reason that most of our home games are going to be against NL East and had good pitching and da da da. But still, as Andrew said, this is a six-year sample. That's a pretty good sample. So, uh, Andrew has has a job to do to figure that out. I'm going to ask you, similar to last week, I'm going to ask you a year and a team, and I just want you to just share your knowledge. Are you ready? All right. We're going to go 1981 Montreal Expos. Ah, that's an interesting team. In many ways, um, they had the best record in baseball that year. And they had an amazing outfield with Ellis Valentine, Tim Raines, one of my favorite players of all time, another guy that could steal a boatload of bases. Tim Raines stole 71 bases in 81 games. And it might have been that year. It was his rookie season, 71 steals in 81 games. But that was the strike year. And that, am I right so far? I don't want to go on and on and be wrong. You're right so far. Let me look for Tim Raines on the roster. Oh, don't worry about Tim Tim Raines. That was a strike year, wasn't it? But anyway, I had Valentine, and Warren Cromarty. Valentine had like a, a huge cannon arm in right field. Tim Raines, awesome. Um, but they had the best record in baseball that year. But when the strike hit in the middle of the season, they split into two parts. So it was like a first half, second half situation. So the playoffs involved who won the first half, who won the second half. Well, the Expos finished twice on both ends of that. So they didn't make the playoffs, but they still ended up with the best combined record in, in the National League oh. that year. You're right. It was a 1981 strike year. That's yeah, correct. Yeah, Gary Carter was on that team. Um, Tim Foley may have been a shortstop. Uh, he was there. Uh, I don't know if that was right or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, they had Steve Rogers was one of the pitchers. They had a great team. And some people say that was pivotal to them eventually losing baseball because fans kind of got were deprived of a postseason that they would have gotten um for the first time ever and um, and they hung on for a while they had terrible ballpark they played olympic stadium it was just the pits um but yeah that that's that's one that's the thing 81 expos are famous for the fabulous outfield and having the best record in National League, but not making the playoffs even. So, yes, interesting. It's a logo, too. I, I always like the Montreal logo. It's very oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, it's a good throwback jersey to buy even today. Very classy. Very classy. All right, let's move on to the Joe West Award of the Week. Let's, Andrew, who, who was the worst of the worst this week? Oh, was boy. it? Was it our boy Joe again? <laughs> oh worst God. of the worst. I thought watching the game that Joe West did, the Mets game, I thought it was going to be up there because he had some pretty dreadful calls, but surprisingly wasn't even top 10 this week. What? Um, but the winner oh, this week him. is another first-timer, 
Greg Gibson. Uh, he Greg. had 85.8% accuracy, 96.1% consistency, which the accuracy number is one of the worst that we've seen. But if you look at the chart, I mean, it doesn't look, I mean, it's bad. It doesn't look that bad. He did call a lot of balls that should have been strikes and the, call those yeah. inside pitches. But I feel like we have seen charts at least that look a lot worse than that. Yeah, that's actually not too bad. At least they're touching the line, a lot of the ones he missed. Yeah, exactly. And then I went and, again, looked at his stats for the year. Uh, and he's, you know, bottom bottom Whoa. tier umpire. He's in the 10th percentile for accuracy, 40th percentile for consistency, you know, which isn't horrible, but still pretty bad. So it was around par for the course for uh, Greg Gibson this week. Bad umpires out there with a new Joe West Award winner. Congratulations. I mean, I know why Joe West has such a big strike zone. At his age, he just wants to get back to the hotel. Uh, I thought you were going to say strike zones relative to your own size. No, he just. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) He just wants to go home. That's probably true. He is retiring at the end of the year. He broke the record, and now he's. He broke Bill Clem's record, most games umpired. And now he's done. You can even tell with Joe West, it just seems like he doesn't want to be there. Like he makes the laziest mm. balls and strike calls I've ever seen. Just like yep. so delayed and so just like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's bad. That's why I retired. I was just going through the motions at work. I didn't want to be there. I was lazy. I didn't get anything done. So <laughs> Joe West needs to follow suit. Okay, who who won the Bill Clem Award? That's yeah, let's get to some good news. Yeah, let's All right, get to Bill Clem. We have some very good news actually. Another first time winner. Wow. Um, good, good, Todd good. Titchener Hottie. had an amazing game. 99.1% accuracy, 100% consistency, one wow. incorrect call. It wow. was one of only four games so far this year with only one wrong call. Incredible. Oh, my goodness. One bad call. And it's very borderline. Yes. Congratulations, too bad he's, Todd. Too bad he's uh, the American League umpire, but that's okay. What do you mean? Hmm? He called the he he called the Cub Milwaukee game. Oh, they don't do that anymore. You call cross. Oh, you're right. He's a National League umpire. So I'm sorry. There we go. We can claim him as our own. Yeah, yeah. I'll just be quiet. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's okay. You know. Okay. Here's here's another thing that pops in my mind when I see this statistic. My my next thought is, well, who's pitching that day? I wonder. You know, is it a uh, a good control pitcher uh, or a wild pitcher or you know someone? That's just another curiosity in how you could get those statistics. Regardless, there's no denying that Todd Atichnar had a great game. But that that's another thing that would be interesting to see on these types of uh, statistics. I think I now Andrew um, had a great statistic last week about Sebi Savala. He hit his first three home runs ever in his career in a single game. Yes. So um, since then, he has not hit a home run. Okay. So we're going to have a Sebi Savala watch. When will he hit more home runs in all games played combined than he did in that one game? <laughs> so far, three in one game, zero in all other games. So I want to implement a Sebi Savala watch, which we will talk about very briefly each week. 
Now, the guy is 28 years old with a lifetime BA of about 200, so uh, he he may never <laughs> he may be out of baseball next year. So anyway, <laughs> he, he did hit 20 home runs in AAA in 2019, so Ooh, he does okay, have the power. Right. We'll see. All right, Sebi Savala, watch starts tonight. Three to nil is the present count. No. All ding, right. ding, ding, zero. Ding, ding, ding. Next topic. All before right. We, uh, before we move on, I did want to share one other story I forgot to tell earlier from the Mets-Phillies game. It, uh, it reminded me of the story you guys had told on an earlier episode about the fan in the outfield with his glove. The old um, There was a group in front of me, family, brought me six or seven people, Phillies fans. Uh, they're pretty quiet throughout the whole game, kind of just sitting and watching. Um, you know, I don't want to assume, but I'm going to guess that they were Puerto Rican. And every time that Javi Baez came to the plate, they all stood up, were screaming, all had their phones out videoing him. He hit like a little inf infield single and they went crazy and they were taking videos while he was just standing on first base. It was like getting in the ninth when the Phillies were trying to blow the game and they were all rooting for him to like get a chance and oh, yeah, I loved goodness. it. It was because yeah. they were just so quiet and so reserved the whole game, unless he was up to bat, and they were loving it. Awesome. What if they were family members? How were you? Did you have good seats? No, we we're up in the third deck, so hopefully uh, he didn't put them up there. Yeah, the third cousins, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, Javi did not let us down tonight. He struck out in his pinch hit appearance. Um, yes, he did. Tonight, so. Meanwhile, Familia Castro, Drew Smith, May, and Diaz. Six relievers to pitch the final. Is that right? Six? No, five relievers to pitch the final five innings. But they slammed the door, and we got the win. So we'll see. This is going to be a very interesting game, too. All right. Very good, Andrew. Let's move on to the role-player draft. It is currently two to four to nothing. Mm -hmm. Hopefully this week, my luck turns. Andrew, how many home runs did Shohei hit this week? Another drought for Shohei. Zero home runs this week. That was first zero. Join the club. Pete Alonzo. How did he do? Jack's new pickup. I just picked up Pistol Pete, and what did he do? He went 0 for 21 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, unsurprisingly, no home runs for Pete. Sadly. Change his name to Pop Gun Pete for me, will you? <laughs> All right, Vladdy, how did he do? Tell me he got one. Yes, Vladdy hit one home run. There we go. Huge power Two, week across the board. Uh, that should even count. Two weeks in a row. No, Vladdy Jr. A home run guy has to have at least two home runs to win the category. Starting next week. All right. Okay. Base stealer, Starling Marte. How do you do? Marte with three stolen bases this week. Nice. Marte or Farte? Starley Marting. <laughs> okay. Mary Whitfield. How many uh, stolen bases did he have? Hasn't won since week one. Yeah. No. Five this week. I what? think he, he was walking like crazy. He got on yeah. base so many times. He yeah, takes baby. it this week. Congratulations, Mary. Maryfield. All right, Trey Turner, the new Dodger. How'd he do? He had he had one this week. Oh, what the Dodgers don't steal a lot. One. Well, you got you got Alvin Pujols standing there hitting home runs. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know how that guy's still standing. Albert Pujols, Max Muncie. How'd he do? How many how many walks did he draw this week? One walk for Mac Mun Max Muncy this week. Not a great week for him. Mookie Betts. 
Mookie with zero. I think he just got put on the IL today. Uh oh. Thanks. I need to find some thinking to do. And Yandy, tell me he got two. He always gets two. He got one as well. Oh my gosh. So we got a tie there. All right. Moving on to strikeout batter. How many strikeouts did Javi get this week after his platinum sombrero earlier this week? Yeah, Javi got hurt and missed a couple games and still managed nine this week. Holy cow. What a man. Joey Gallo, the new Yankee. How'd he do? Shocking. I I couldn't even believe it when I saw he struck out 14 times this week. Oh my gosh. The Yankees found themselves a gem. And Matt Chapman, I'm assuming, can't compete with 14. There's no way. No, I put up a respectable 8, but... Good pickup. Impossible to beat 14. Good guy. Yeah, 14 is superhero numbers. We haven't. That's the highest number we've seen in any category. All right, let's move on to strikeout pitcher Carlos Rodon. How'd he do this week? Rodon, he found himself on the IL as well, but before that, he struck out 11 this week. Nicely done. I don't know if that's is that going to be just enough to tie Zach Wheeler with his 11K uh, full game against the Mets? Yes, that is going to tie also. Wow, 11. that is a big week from the both of those guys. I'm assuming Brandon Woodruff didn't put a candle to them. No, another another have? respectable week. He had eight, but yeah, another thing you cannot hey, compete with 11 strikeouts. It's not zero. So who will take it? That's my first non-zero in that category. Very happy with that. Let's move on to the Johnny Walker category. How many walks did Luis Castillo have this week? Castillo walked four batters this week. Okay, not bad. Blake Snell? He allowed three. Yeah, he pitched right. very well this week, unfortunately. Yeah, he had like 14 strikeouts, I think. And yeah, Zach Davies, how many walks did he give up? Sucks. One, disappointing after his six-walk week last week. Yeah, six walks in a in a losing week. So Luis Castillo will take will take that category. Let's move on to the Anti Degrom few or most earned runs allowed. Brad Keller, how do you do? Brad Keller allowed five earned runs this week. Okay, Thanks. Brad, there you go. We just yeah. think up the joint. Mike Fulty, how do you do? Fulty only gave up one. What? What did he do? Go to the bullpen or something? Cy Young Award winner? Oh, man. He's in the conversation now. He's Dylan Bundy, how did my serial killer's brother do? Zero this week. You know what? You can't win them all. You haven't won any yet. In fact, I haven't won any yet. Mm. See, I was going to set that up for myself, but then you just ruined it. <laughs> can't win one. So we need a, a rules clarification this week. All right, so, let's hear it. Outright winners, Zach won one category, Jack won two, and I won two. All right. But I also tied two. <gasps> Zach tied one, Jack tied one. So are we going just off of straight wins and then tiebreaker points? Or if you tie more, does that give you the win? So we're doing ties over points. I Are we? I don't know. No, we're doing ties should get half a point okay yeah and then I if, that if the total sense. points tied i mean if if so if that ties, that then, tied. You, then you go to the tiebreaker after that all okay. right that's fine so in that me. case then i win this week i agree andrew wins as long as zach doesn't win that's all i care about now now it's getting that's so sweet <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Jack did have the most points scored this week, though. 34 uh, to my yeah. 33. Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Okay, so I got to change then. I, mean, you got, I don't know. Do I go first or second or third this time? You would go second because I need to go first because I'm go the ahead worst. Go I'm ready. Have you, not, have you not noticed I'm terrible at this? I'm ready. Um, all right, you go ahead then. My new base on balls guy will be Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals, who should get a lot of walks now that there's nobody around him that is worth anything. How many walks did he have tonight? I should look at that first. Well, because that wouldn't have counted then, right? It counts. No, because when I when I picked up DeGrom, he had like 10 strikeouts in that game, and you guys wouldn't let me have that. That's different. Go ahead. What? Pick your guy. You just said that. All games <laughs> starting Wednesday through Tuesday. All games. Well, who do you got, Zach? Well, give me a second. Well, what are you picking? I'm picking a pitcher. All right. What's the statistic? I'll help you. For runs. Most runs? Yeah, I might pick... I might pick Patrick Corbin. Yeah, he's terrible. Yep. Matt Harvey's tempting, but he's been pretty good lately, actually. He's had some really good starts for them there a while back, a little while ago. Yeah, he he started the second half really well. You know, there's a guy who should learn how to throw a knuckleball. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think I'm going to pick up Patrick Corbin instead of Dylan Bundy, who you say has moved to the uh, bullpen. So maybe I'll start competing in this category now. I'm slowly putting together a good roster, which isn't like anything I should ever be proud of because it's taken because me it's weeks. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah. And I still haven't won anything. Could at least so, won my luck one of those weeks. Well, see, Dad, I didn't get your luck, Gene. My name is or, Jack. Oh. <laughs> okay, what's next? I need oh, to Andrew, replace. Oh, Andrew, you got to change. Yeah, I need to replace my strikeout pitcher. Rodon is on nice. the IL. Could you change a guy twice in one season? I do. I've I've changed my strikeout pitcher twice. Oh, see, okay, all right, that's fine. As long as I know that. I am going to go with cheaters. Dylan Cease, another pitcher from the Your White team Sox. Is great doesn't mean that we're cheating. <laughs> yeah. Dylan Crease. Crease? Yeah, I call him Dylan Crease. Because one time when he was uh, getting his his butt checked for um, sticky substances, his <laughs> crease was showing. You don't know anything about that guy. Neither I only know that one fact. That's it. All right, everybody satisfied with their new lineups here? Ecstatic. Jack, who'd you pick up? Juan Soto was my new walk guy. All right, let me replace him for you on the chart. And you're jealous. No, Yandy Diaz is so steady in that category that I just, I could never leave him. Right. All right, next. I think actually he will, that will be my next replacement next week. All right, it's time to move on to move it. M- music of the week. Um, this week was The Clash, London Calling, I believe. Jack, you know the most about this record, so go ahead and start us off. Well, I only picked it because... You didn't want to have to listen to something? Well, they were amongst <laughs> the, 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 the class of 76, 77 punk rockers with the Sex Pistols, the Damned, the Clash, 
Sham 69 and a few other, and there were a lot of other punk rockers at the time, 76, 77. They put that album out at the end of 79 and they decided no more punk rock. It was going to be like more of a hard rock, alternative rock. And it was a landmark album. It was Rolling Stones album of the year that year, which used to mean something. So it's, it's, I just picked it because it is a landmark album in rock and roll history. The greatest album ever put out by one of the greatest bands of all time. And it changed the direction of punk rock and into more of a post-punk style where the Clash were exploring a lot of new styles. They were, well, not new styles, but they were exploring a lot of different musical styles. They were into a little bit of jazz, a little reggae, a little dub, a little ska, and... Um, so that's why I chose it because it was it's known as the record in the class learned how to play instruments um where they'd kind of graduated to um the only, as they were known the only band that matters so a classic record and I thought since any landmark records I think records are people should know something about that's it this album out of 10 oh well I'll give it a nine. Some of those songs run together on side three and four, rather. So Train in Vain was the biggest hit ever. Well, not ever. One of their biggest hits in the U.S., and it's not even listed on the record. It is an unlisted song. But it was the biggest hit off this record. So I give it a nine. The record, definitely. Train in Vain. I loved London Calling. I loved Rudy Can't Fail. I loved Hateful. I thought those were really good. I listened to it in the car, but I, when I was driving, I was like, I really wish I was in a pub in England with a bunch of drunk, bald, ugly-teethed British people right now. Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it. Along it's a great pub album. To it. yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. I can just picture... Because the guy does not have a great voice. No. The instruments are loud and raucous and the 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 lyrics are very like repetitive like chanty and it sounds like a lot of fun to just sing drunk off your ass and in a pub drinking some beers yeah with with the boys it's it's definitely an album that you can enjoy like that um and there's also even like like you said on the the end of the album it kind of gets away from the beginning of the album a little bit like in terms of like pace it some of the songs get a little bit slower yeah and those maybe not as much but i love the first half of the record pretty much all of it mm-hmm. uh and train in vain the last last song on the record is amazing so i would give this i would give this a 7.9 out of 10 personally i enjoyed it and someday when I go to England, I'll I'll request this at <laughs> yeah, a pub and, right. exactly. and link link arms with some boys and and sing along. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it. With it is just very fun. I definitely got like the ska and reggae influence yeah. songs. Those are probably some of my favorites. That are just. Yeah, kind of just fun to listen to. Don't really have to read into the lyrics and just enjoy it. Um, yeah, yeah, I, th- I thought it was really fun. You mentioned um, Rudy Can't Fail. That was one I really liked. One that 
I have on Spotify, you know, you see how many streams each song has. Yeah. And Wrongum Boyo was one that I really liked that had like <laughs> not that many plays, but it was it was a really fun one. Those are probably my two favorites other than, you know, the big hit songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I'll give it in the sevens also. I'll give it a seven point six. Okay. I definitely enjoyed it. And I would say for me, of all, I like all the many, many of the songs, but Spanish Bombs is Spanish one of Bombs my favorites. Good, yeah. It's it's more of a, a pop sound for them, and mm-hmm. they pull it off brilliantly. So and very political too, of course. So. Not that I li- I don't listen to the words, so it doesn't matter. But. Another another song I think Liverpool should use since they have Tiago now. Spanish Bombs would be a fun song to Spanish sing Bombs. with him in the in the team. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned it's funny that you mentioned wrong and boyo because the whole time when i was singing along in the car because i was just guessing what the lyrics were sometimes so i could sing and i was singing i was singing ramen boil because i thought that's what they're saying but then i looked at the name of the, i couldn't look at the name of the song while i was driving but i looked at at it today when i was listening to it again and i was like i was way off <laughs> Well, it'd be a great college uh, song, Ramen Boyle. Yeah, Boyle. exactly. Awesome. It was kind of an, an anthem for my yeah. 19, 20, 21-year-old self. Right. Ramen Boyle, Perfect. you know? You just want to boil it as fast as you can because you want to cook for as short as you can. Mm-hmm. Well, great album recommendation, Jack. Thank you again for enlightening us. But let's move on to Andrew's album, for this week what is it going to be andrew my album for this week is going to be diamond dreams this uh says it says it came out in 2020 i don't know exactly when it came out if this is from spotify uh but it's diamond dreams by our favorite cowboy joe west it's his uh i think it's his second country album um i listened to about five seconds of it it's so funny the song names are like all vaguely baseball related you got well you got diamond dreams a piece of history every day extra innings out at home (laughs) it's just i really don't know what to expect from this i'm expecting it to be bad um but yeah i think it'll be hilarious I love this recommendation. I love that the the album art looks like it was made in 2000 uh, PowerPoint. So yeah. that's going to be oh, sweet. The, Dad, the name is Cowboy Joe West. It's not just Joe yeah, West. Yeah, I heard it. I wrote it down. Even. All right. So Di- Diamond Dreams, Cowboy Joe West. I am very excited to, to listen to this and hear what you guys very have to excited. say. About it. It's yes. only 38 minutes. It'll be a nice and quick one. Yeah, it'll be painless, Jack. So how about you listen to this no one? No problem. Huh? Of course. Hey, I listen. I've been better. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm all over it. All, all right, good. It. Good. All right, so that wraps it up for this week. Thanks for joining us for Episode 8 of Loogie. Hope you enjoyed it. Join us next Thursday for Episode 9.